Welcome to the CMU Podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Coleman, here with my co-host, Caitlin Birdsall, and we are joined today by Colorado Mesa University Associate Professor and Program Coordinator for the Radiological Sciences Program, Olga Grisak. Welcome to the show, Olga. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And uh, you are originally from Western Ukraine. You moved here um, to the U.S. 19 years ago, and you actually moved from uh, the Ukraine to Grand Junction, which a lot of people might be surprised by. I don't think a lot of people in Ukraine maybe know about <laughs> Grand Junction. Right. I get this question a lot. Why Grand Junction out of all places? Um, yeah, we moved here, but Grand Junction primarily because we had a friend who lived in Grand Junction. And when uh, my husband got a visa to come here and work here, uh, he welcomed us to his home and then helped us kind of to get adjusted to new life in the States. So what I, w- I would expect moving from one country to another, whether that's, you know, someone from the United States moving to Australia or somebody from the Ukraine moving here, that there's definitely going to be some culture shock and <clears throat> some different, um, you know, new experiences that you're having. Can you talk to us about thinking back to 19 years ago when you moved here? What was that experience like for you? Yeah, I definitely would describe it as a culture shock. And not like I didn't expect things um, to be here the way they were. But it's a, it was a big transition. And I have a one-year-old son at the time. And we moved from a really big city, which uh, was Kiev. It's the capital of Ukraine, over 5 million people, to Grand Junction 19 years ago, which felt very small. Uh, so it also adjustment in lifestyle in addition to a uh, kind of learning new culture. I think uh, with this kind of change, what helps is time. Helps um, because time gives opportunity to learn language better, to use it better, to meet people, to make meaningful friendships, to establish connections and kind of feel more at home. So that probably what was true for my experience here. But I found that people were very welcoming, very helpful. I never felt like I was not welcome here. So there was not a bad experience in that regard at all. Yeah, I was going to, to say you must have, have loved it here, right, to, to stay um, nearly 20 years. Um, and we're happy to have you because you, um, your educational experience um, is in electrical and bioengineering, but now you are program coordinator for the radiological sciences program and I'm a professor as well. What led you to make that switch in your career? Right. So when we came here, um, my background was uh, undergraduate in electrical engineering and then graduate work in uh, biomedical. And Green Junction, with all the wonderful things about Green Junction, wasn't the place to find a job in that area. Because my biomedical engineering um, experience was more in like a measuring devices and sensors that were used primarily in research and nothing like that I could find here. So I worked a little bit uh, as a um, web developer at home while I was raising kids. And then it was time to kind of think about what else I could do here. And uh, I had a friend who graduated from a nursing program at back then Mesa State College. And she introduced me to the program and said, what do you think about that? So I saw the correlation with my background in medical equipment and this new job kind of with a different angle, more of a on the patient care side, which I was interested in. 
So I decided to go for it and I graduated from the program, which was a great experience. I loved my professors, Dr. Betty Shantz and Dr. Patty Ward certainly became very influential and mentors to me after that. So we're talking about radiologic sciences, and I think we maybe should take a moment to really explain what is it. I think most people listening probably have an idea, but I think it'd be good to explore a little bit more of what exactly is radiologic sciences. Yes, of course. Um, So radiologic sciences is the field, and the professionals working in that field are radiologic technologists. And sometimes people use the term technician, which is incorrect. It's technologist. So it is the third largest group of healthcare uh, professionals, only surpassed by nurses and doctors. And primarily the scope of practice is to obtain diagnostic medical imaging to provide those images to radiologists who will then interpret them and hopefully come up with a diagnosis or aid in diagnosis of certain disease and conditions. So it's a very uh, specific scope of practice, but the profession in itself is very broad, very interesting with many opportunities for advancement and professional growth. And I I imagine, um, I think you had mentioned um, before the interview that the program has been around for 40 years, is that correct? Yeah, it's actually more than 40. I think we're getting closer to 50 years, 48 or something like that. Wow. So um, I think a lot of um, maybe technologists in the Grand Valley right now probably graduated from this very program. What can students expect, uh, you know, outside the classroom, kind of getting their hands, uh, and you know, hands-on learning? Where are they going? How are they getting this real-life experience? Well, it's definitely very applied uh, learning in the program because starting from the very first semester, we have, of course, didactic courses, lectures, and we have labs that correlate with those lectures. And again, starting from the first semester, we have clinical experience where our students spend hours at the local clinical sites in radiology departments. And every single semester in the program, they do have clinical experience, including summer, which is just clinical, um, pretty intense, 40 hours a week for seven weeks. And working, you know, nearly 50 years um, with our community partners, I think over time, um, you guys have probably learned a lot, you know, when it comes to teaching our, our future healthcare workers of what works, what doesn't work, how we can always um, provide the best educational experience possible. Yes, I think that collaboration and this close work with our clinical sites is one of the biggest strengths of the program. Because, and I cannot take credit for that, because those relationships been built before uh, me, and they certainly uh, kind of improved over the years because when we have students in clinical sites, we're really looking for feedback. What can we do better? How can we prepare them better to this ever-changing world of diagnostic imaging? Because not only equipment changes very rapidly, different imaging protocols change, different procedures are added. So uh, we keep this dialogue open. We have twice a year meetings with all our clinical um, representatives, and then we ask them, what can we do better? And we certainly added certain trainings and additional opportunities for students based on that feedback. And uh, I just think it's ongoing thing. That's what makes the program better, and that's hopefully what makes our graduates more um, adjusted to the current field. 
So I would assume in your profession, you're dealing with a wide breadth of patients. I could imagine everything from, you know, a five-year-old who's broken his arm and needs to get an x-ray to a woman who's pregnant and getting an ultrasound to maybe somebody who's been in a car accident that has to get a CT scan. And I would assume too, you're combining your knowledge of the technology but also leaning on, I would say, more softer skills to care for these patients at a really probably hard time in their life. Can you talk to us about what is that like to to play that dual role of being the expert on the technology, but also having to care for these patients? Yeah, I certainly agree. Um, That description, that's a dual role. And I think that's what makes it interesting. And definitely that what attracted me to this profession as well. Um, Typically, a technologist would work in one modality. It's either diagnostic uh, radiography or CT, but some technologists definitely have multi-modality credentials. But in terms of combining technical skills and patient care skills, it is every time a task that you have to approach uniquely because you do need to meet patient where they're at because the better rapport you can build with them, better images you're going to obtain. Right. So we teach our students at the same time how to provide the best care, how to position patients with high precision to align certain structures. And at the same time, a different course would be focused on how you set up your machine. How do you determine the amount of radiation needed to produce those images? Uh, So it's always constantly those two coming together. Not one is more important than the other. They have to work together to produce a good result. That's what I was going to say, because especially I'm thinking about, you know, if it's this five-year-old who you're trying to image their broken arm or their arm to see if it's broken or fractured, that you've got to be able to almost be on their level, make them feel comfortable and calm so that you can get them positioned correctly to get the best image possible. Oh, absolutely. And with kids specifically, you do need to go to their level. You do need to distract them. You also need to work really, really fast versus somebody who is elderly. You do need to take your time and provide them care and slow down and give clear instructions. So, yes, we certainly teach that to our students and they kind of solidify those skills when they're in clinicals. Yeah. Going off of um, what Caitlin said um, seems like oftentimes the technologist is the ears um, and eyes for the the radiologist. And is that something you teach or is that in your programming how to really communicate with another person, you know, on their level? How do you can you teach that? How is that implemented in the classroom? I think you certainly can teach foundation for that. We teach uh, diversity of people. We teach how to approach different population groups. Um, But there is nothing like experience just doing it and seeing what works and what doesn't work. And even with all training, all experience, there are still people that surprise you and make you think outside of the box. And yeah, I exactly, I agree with the statement that technologists are ears and eyes of radiologists because unless it is a procedure, radiologists doesn't see patients. So they rely on technologists to provide this very important information in terms of clinical history. What happened? What did you observe? And the more you're in the field, when I was working in the field, the more you understand the value of taking a really good clinical history so you can provide this information for radiologists and for them to use that information in conjunction with the images to provide the diagnosis. So I think our CMU students are really lucky with how many faculty members here 
have been practicing in their fields prior to teaching. And I would think that's a pretty big switch going from being a radiologic technologist to teaching in the classroom. What drove you to want to make that switch or that change? Yeah, so I worked in the field in diagnostic radiography at the hospital and then computed tomography as additional modality at the hospital. And I was working night shifts full time. And uh, the things that the program been changing. So my former professor, Dr. Ward, approached me one time and asked if I would be interested in teaching one class. And it was a digital imaging class. She knew my background and she said, I think you could do it. So I was working nights still and was teaching that one class and that semester went really well. Then I was teaching another course the following semester. It was physics for radiographers and that went pretty well, I guess, as well. (laughs) And then there was an opening for an assistant professor, so she encouraged me to apply for that position. I always knew that I liked teaching because throughout my schooling in engineering, I was doing tutoring. So I tutored math and physics and I always enjoyed that. So it kind of was always in the back of my mind that it's something I do find enjoyable. This is kind of a a curveball question for you, but coming from the Ukraine, a different country, what do you think you bring to the classroom that is maybe different than somebody else based on your background? Um, I was thinking about that, and there's one area, it's a very specific example, but I never thought that my experience living in Ukraine will actually make its way into the classroom. But I, I teach, one of the classes I teach is radiation biology, and it's the class when we learn about effects of radiation on the human body. So living in Ukraine, I lived during the time when Chernobyl happened, and I know I lived through that time and lived after that. So I personally have seen the effects of radiation long-term and short-term. So I think in that particular regard, it hopefully makes it a little bit more personal and meaningful for students when I share my experience with that and what it really was in uh, correlation with early effective radiation that we studied. So I never thought I would use that, but here I am teaching radiation biology all those years later. Yeah, could you kind of dive into that a little a little deeper? Because I think a lot of our listeners, you know, know about Chernobyl. They probably have seen, um, you know, a, the documentary, the movies, the, you know, read, read some books or articles on on it. But maybe um, from from your perspective, can you kind of dive into that a bit more. What it was back then? Yeah, just like your your experience with it. Well, where, where we were geographically in Western Ukraine, luckily we were not affected as much. Uh, not like we were too far from Chernobyl, but what made a huge difference in exposure to radiation are the winds. And the winds went towards the Belarus as a neighboring country and not towards our region. Um, We did have family members that came from Kiev, which is pretty close to Chernobyl, and stayed with us for that summer because they were worried. Um, I think one of the big problems, which actually was correctly depicted in that HBO series, was that people were not informed. They were not informed timely. Uh, They've been probably a month and a half, if not more, that there was not a clear message, or at least it was not understanding of the magnitude of what had happened. People suspected and people were trying to be careful. Uh, when I moved to Kiev, I moved with a portable decimeter where I would measure 
the radiation from produce that farmers grew because you would buy it, you know, at the markets. In some areas, in some soil, they still could contain some residual radioactive uh, materials there. So I think what we've seen, not necessarily right after, but later, the huge increase in thyroid disease. That's what been primarily among my friends and then people my age and a little bit older. And it happened because one of the fallout was the radioactive iodine. And if people ate and drank, then the radioactive iodine got into their system. And naturally, thyroid has a higher uptake for iodine. So instead of normal iodine that was radioactive iodine, which led to hyperplasia with just growth of benign tumors and thyroid and definitely thyroid cancers. So there's lots of people who are my age about that, that have scars on their necks because their thyroids were removed. So switching back slightly to here at CMU and teaching in our radiologic sciences program, you know, you said this um, field is often changing and you have to stay up on all of the technology. What do you see coming down the pipeline? Or is there anything you could give us like a sneak peek or where you think the technology is going to be heading in the future? Um, well, it's frankly hard to predict because there are some technological advances that people could not see happening. I think what was a very beneficial advancement in medical imaging is definitely new detectors, which the elements of equipment that capture the images. And what was great about those is that they are extremely sensitive to signal and they allow us to do the same or even better quality images with much less radiation. I think that keeps improving and improving proven. So you can compare amount of radiation we use 20 years even here versus what we use it now. So I think it's more safe. I think it will be more um, post-processing capabilities, which means you acquire imaging just like in digital photography, you do a lot of changes that you can do. I think it can be potentially more automated procedures where maybe not as much of involvement of people and unfortunately maybe even technologists but somebody still has to operate the equipment I think it's going to be just more and more um, automatization in that regard I also think and it's not within our profession but it's going to be more of uh, artificial intelligence used for interpretation we already have it in the field and it seems to be an area that is growing and growing rapidly that's going to affect more radiologist work than ours but we definitely see that it's interesting you mentioned <clears throat> artificial intelligence because i think there's this conversation that comes up all the time around technology you know and the benefits and then um also the challenges and, and then you have that, that, that fear of um, AI. But then when we talk about it in, in the healthcare realm and how much it, it really helps us in so many different ways, what is your take on, on technology and how do you um, balance like the, the benefits and then the challenges with it? Well, I always tell my students that technology is great when it works, but when you work in the hospital, there are so many different situations you find yourself in. 
And sometimes you have to troubleshoot and sometimes you really need to think outside of the box and sometimes you have to disable your automatic exposure control devices that helps us select radiation and do everything manually. And that's what really makes a distinction between a good technologist and somebody who heavily relies on technology. Um, So I think it should not... um, hinder our desire to learn in depth how it works and how to control it. Because there are, in my experience, many situations that only that knowledge allows you to function when something goes wrong. When the system is down, when detector is not sending images, how do you solve that? Because there is nothing that can wait in the hospital. If somebody needs an exam, especially if it's emergency department or surgery, it needs to be done now. Nobody can wait for that. So I think technology is great, but relying on your skill and have a very good understanding how it works, absolutely essential. I don't think we should fear technology. I think we should embrace it. I think we should see how it can improve certain things at the same time, not neglecting what it requires of us to be proficient. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. It has been um, a a riveting conversation, conversation, I think, everything. Um, It was just really informative, and I appreciate you being here. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. You can find the See Me Now podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts.